The views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast, episode number 15. Damn, man, it's been a good run. You know, I never anticipated how uh, kind of difficult this would be uh, over the course of a fire season, but hey, here we are, and we're going to keep it going. We're going to keep it going even over the winter. So I believe that uh, knowledge is power, and uh, the more knowledge you have, the better prepared you'll be for next fire season. So keep it locked in even over the course of the winter. Today's episode is all going to be about Region 6 temporary seasonal hiring. So, listen up. But before we get into it, we're going to talk a little bit about our sponsors. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Hotshot Brewery. Go over to www.hotshotbrewery.com and check out their full line of apparel. Embrace that firefighter culture. Embrace that uh, tribe that you belong to. Get yourself a t-shirt or a sweatshirt. Also, check out their coffee. They got the spa fire. They got the scratch line. They got the initial attack. They even have the night shift espresso, which I like to put in my French press. And I know all of you coffee snobs out there are going to be like, oh, you can't put it in I don't care. It's good. It's good wake up, and it gets me going in the morning. Also, speaking of getting going in the morning, they also have a full line of pour-over systems and arrow presses and other tools of the trade to get you going in the morning, even on the line. So... Swing over to www.hotshotbrewery.com and get you some stuff. It's good coffee for a good cause, and a portion of the proceeds goes to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Another sponsor of ours is going to be the Smoky Generation. Well, they're not really a sponsor of us, but we've teamed up. Bethany and I have teamed up to gain uh, more exposure for our grant winners with the Smoky Generation. The Smoky Generation has also teamed up with Mystery Ranch to facilitate some grants for our wildland firefighters, whether they be photographers or writers or videographers. It's for a good cause. They've also teamed up with our Canadian wildland firefighters. They've teamed up with Water Axe Pumps to help facilitate some of those grants for our Canadian wildland firefighters as well. So go over to the American Wildland Fire Experience, search for them on Google, Check them out. It'll bring up their website. It's a digital storytelling platform for Wildland Fire. It's awesome. Also, check them out on the old Instagram. Check out the Smoky Generation. It is awesome. They have some pretty good stories. And uh, I think that the uh, people that belong to that organization are doing a great thing. And they're telling the story of us. So on today's show, we've got Chad Schmidt. He is out of Central Oregon. He's with Central Oregon Repellers. He's the base manager over there, but also in the winter during hiring season, which is coming up, by the way. Uh, that's going to be September 16th through the 30th, I believe, for temp seasonal hiring over in Region 6. Anyways, Chad is over there. He's going to be helping facilitate that whole operation. He is an operations manager for Region 6 hiring for the temp seasonals. We're going to go over a bunch of Awesome, awesome information, invaluable information for you guys, especially for those that are uh, looking to get their foot in the door or maybe change up that duty station location. We're going to go over resumes. We're going to go over USA jobs. We're going to go over everything you need to know, even some best practices as to up your chances of getting picked up with a new career or a new duty station in wildland fire. So keep it locked in, sit down, take some notes, pay attention. Welcome to the Anchor Point. ready to do this i am all righty all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to the anchor point podcast episode number 15 today on the show i got chad smith from central oregon repellers what's going on man how you doing i'm doing good how you doing man doing great man so what's uh what's new with you man uh not much it's been a um 
a slowish year for us this year, but we've been able to stay uh, busy enough, I think, to get through the year. So it hasn't been too bad. I think that's kind of been reflected across the entire United States, really, man. It's been slow for everybody, except for Alaska. Alaska's been ripping off, man. I have no idea what's going on up there, but damn. <laughs> right. Yeah, we sent uh, quite a few folks up there. Did you guys put some detailers over there? Um, we we sent various overhead up there for just regular two-week assignments. So Nice, man. So, yeah. Ch- so, Chad, tell me what you do, man. What do you do over at COR? So I'm the program manager for Central Oregon Repellers. Um, I started my career in 2000 with uh, Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area out of Hood River, Oregon. Uh, bounced around the, the Pacific Northwest ever since then. Uh, repelled out of uh, Wenatchee uh, and John Day repel bases. Uh, then I was an engine captain, an AFMO out of Chelan, Washington, and, and now the program manager in Central Oregon. Oh, yeah, man, that's awesome. Uh, how many years altogether do you have? Uh, 20-ish. 20-ish? <laughs> nice. 20-ish. So you've done pretty much everything as far as like aviation goes, as, as far as the helicopter program goes, repelling. Yeah. Nice, man. That's awesome. So uh, what do you do other than that? Like uh, judge, uh, when we were talking earlier, I know you, you do some other stuff for like R6 fire hire. So we, yeah, within Region 6, as it relates to temp hiring, uh, we have a, a fairly uh, robust, organized temp hiring process, and it does not delineate necessarily from fire or non-fire. We do it together. So all those timelines are shared, and, and the event takes place when, when we do all that hiring. It's, uh, it's for all disciplines. So nice. um, <clears throat> what that looks like for us is applicant supply, which for this year is going to be September 16th through the 30th. Um, those applications go into Albuquerque. Um, the Region 6 temp hiring team gets those certs from Albuquerque uh, and based on timelines negotiated from them as well, we go into a selections event for the region. So. Uh, we take those certs and we release them to hiring managers throughout the region. And then our intent through this event is to try to streamline the selections process for the hiring managers. And I think there's a few uh, misconceptions about how we do it and, and what we're doing there. I don't make any selections for any hiring managers in the region. Um, all the hiring managers get to choose who they want as long as they're approved by their own line officer. Um, we're just facilitating a little bit of a process to try to streamline those selections. And, and the, the intent behind that is that a candidate gets one job offer. Um, we, don't want, we don't want stacking job offers that you can find if, if different forests are trying to make offers to one candidate. A candidate may receive an interest call uh, from a number of hiring managers. They also may receive a call from the Region 6 hiring team asking them, telling them a little bit about the job and asking them to kind of rate those jobs. And then we go back to the hiring managers and let them know what the results of that call were. So we're just trying to facilitate a a streamlined process. We hire in a matter of two weeks during selections, we hire about 1500 people. Holy crap. Uh, So it goes pretty quick and it's fairly intense. So um, I enjoy it, but uh, it is a challenge for sure. Yeah, it's like you guys are running the combine or the draft or something like that, man. It's crazy. Yes, it is. It's uh, we we actually call up the draft and um, yeah, it's exciting. There's some long days involved in that, but uh, I work with a good a good team of folks. There's about 15 of us at the selections event, and um, we run the we just use the ICS system, which most of us are from Fire. Uh, and we're, oh, you know, we're acquainted with that. And so we know what that means. So we have an IC, we have operations folks, we have logistics, uh, et cetera. So it works pretty well for us. So that's pretty mu- wild, man. You run it just like a fire set- setup pretty much. Yep. That's yep. pretty cool, man. That's awesome. So now you're just saying that 15 people pretty much do all of the hiring, the temp seasonal hiring for all of region six, and that is firefighters, forestry, everything. So we just facilitate the system that is used to basically do it. So we use SharePoint um, and we, we push processes through SharePoint to help us streamline these selections. But at the district level and the unit level, the hiring managers are receiving their 
certs with all their applicants. They're looking through all their applicants, evaluating applications, getting reference checks, and then they figure out who they want to hire and they tell us who they want to hire. And, okay. and we take that and dump it into a database and see where there's multiple districts that want to hire the same person. And then we take that situation and we work through that situation to deconflict that. Okay. Um, and then if there are no uh, other districts that want to hire that same individual, we push that process through and allow the hiring manager to keep going to, to initiate their actions to hire the, the employee. So once it passes you, once you deconflict that airspace, so so to speak, yep. you guys push that information on to the hiring manager and they push that on to Albuquerque, essentially. Yep. Gotcha. So tell us a little bit more about that. Like, uh, So do you get to see resumes? Do you get to see like their application paper trails, everything? Do you get to see that side of uh, applicants? Um, I, I can. Uh, it doesn't do me much good unless I'm trying to find some information to deconflict. A, and, and let's say I want to get a hold of a candidate or we want to, one of our team members try to get a hold of a candidate. Um, we can pull up their resume and get a phone number off of that. As far as the hiring manager and what they can see at the home unit, uh, in years past with our e-recruit system, they could see how the applicant answered their um, KSA type questions, and then they can see all their, most of their attachments, I should say. With the change this year to USA staffing, my understanding or what we've been told is that we're only going to be able to see attachments. Gotcha. So for the most part, that's going to be certificates that are required for the position, cover letters, resumes, et cetera. But we were told that hiring managers aren't going to be able to see how applicants answered some of those kind of the, the little bubble form KSAs, which in my opinion, I don't think is a big deal because I don't think most hiring managers were even paying attention to most of that. They're going right to the resume and gleaning as much as they can through that resume. They maybe look at the attachments and then they're going to make a, a very quick evaluation of whether they want to come back to this candidate or not. Gotcha. So they they weren't really looking at a lot of the the initial KSA stuff. I don't think. Gotcha. So this is something that's pretty unique to Region Six. Like every uh, region is different with their hiring, right? Yeah. So you guys, as facilitators of this whole hiring process, you are the SMEs, and then it's backed up by the district unit, essentially. Yeah. So Region Five does does something similar and and last year we made an effort to try to combine or coordinate a lot of jobs and selections within the two regions uh, because of the furlough and because of the fact that we were running two different systems we were going to have some challenges to make that work and so we, we just kind of we made it through it but it wasn't very coordinated we just didn't have the time to to get it together this year we've started to uh, try to integrate our systems a little bit better so our five and our six should look similar in, in at least what the selections looks like from a candidate perspective. How their hiring managers or SMEs do stuff versus how Region 6 hiring managers do things uh, may be a little bit different, but we'll get to the same end game. And then with the other regions, you know, I spoke with folks in like Region 4 and Region 1 and tried to kind of work with them to see if they're interested and at least maybe taking a look at how we do stuff. Not so much from a, a me trying to sell what we do, but I think there's a lot of uh, lessons to be learned in what we do and how we do it, and especially maybe not to do it. So uh, certainly invited them to come take a look at our stuff as well. Kind of like a program evaluation, if you will. Yep. Gotcha. Sure. Nice, man. So let's talk about hiring stuff then. So okay. you work exclusively with, well, not exclusively, you're the program manager for Central Oregon Repellers. You got that going on. That's your normal uh, summer job. But in the wintertime, you do this hiring manager uh, program th for Region 6, correct? Yes. So what's what's that like? Explain. Let's explain some best practices for these uh, potential applicants. Let's talk about resumes. Let's talk about what format you want to be in. Let's just go down the rabbit hole as far as like what you are looking for as far as a qualified applicant. Okay. 
I'll start with what I think is probably the number one tactic that a candidate can use, uh, especially for temp positions, and that's to get a hold of hiring managers, whether that's email or phone. I think calling a hiring manager and figuring out or calling a district and figuring out who the hiring manager is for whatever discipline you're interested in, with the exception of getting through the somewhat daunting task of USA Jobs, I think is the most important thing that a candidate can do to set themselves apart. Um, that's big, I think. And it's something that a lot of candidates take for granted, that they just applied um, and, and that someone's going to give them a full evaluation. They're going to look at their resume and, and all is going to be well. And when you look at a, a unit, for instance, like the Deschutes National Forest in fire alone, they're looking at a GS4 list that has four to 500 names on it. Jesus. So when you're a candidate uh, and you're a kid fresh out of high school or maybe just working through college and you don't know that you're competing against 400 other people on a list, it can be hard to figure out how to get your foot in the door. So I think that's the biggest one is is to to be have a build a relationship with hiring managers and whether that's email or phone, I think it's big. And then the other thing is is the resume. Uh, you know, I listened to your last podcast with Ashley and you guys spoke quite a bit about resumes and I thought you guys had some really good stuff to speak about there. There's there's some issues with how we in a you know or in, I should say the, the the process of getting through HR and the Albuquerque Service Center and then the process of getting your resume to a hiring manager and it and it's still looking professional is a challenge right so you've got to write your resume so it can meet the technical requirements of the announcement and the job description from an HR perspective and then you want your your resume to look professional to a hiring manager. And sometimes I don't think those link up real well. I think you guys talked about it last time where where you got to be really specific. And we see, I, I see a lot of different resumes, and, and um, some of them are pretty unique. And you can tell when they copy and paste it out of a PD. Um, you can tell when they maybe missed some of those links that go really bullet point. And, and I'm a fan of the bullet point, but you just got to be careful because sometimes that can get missed through the HR department of, well, when you, when you mentioned on your KSAs in the application that, uh, for instance, for a GS3 or a GS4 that you used hand tools and you were, you were proficient in fireline construction, et cetera, and you don't mention anything about that in your resume, you've got an individual at ASC who has to make an evaluation to figure out if you're best qualified, and they may not know that that position you were in, that it's just inferred that you knew how to do that, like a crew member on a hotshot crew. So you've got to be really specific, um, but but still try to maintain some integrity of a resume that is readable, and that that's a big challenge. It's a it's a vast difference between like private sector and uh, your oh, yeah. your fire government kind of. Uh, USA jobs format resume, man, there's a huge disconnect there. And, uh, I think that's where a lot of candidates, I think they get disconnected from the private sector because they're so used to writing a resume for like, I don't know, whatever their first job is in retail that they try and translate yep. that over and it doesn't translate so well. I think another thing is to, uh, kind of back to if you're a candidate, consider what it looks like from a hiring manager's perspective when they're looking at three to 400 resumes. So what sets your resume up to, to kind of stand out? And I think if it's organized well, that'll get you headed down the right road at the very least. And then there's some tips and tricks like your certifications and your qualifications. Don't just hide those into the body of each position. Make sure there's some section in your resume that has all those bulleted point, you know, kind of bullet point out in one section where a hiring managers just glancing because they they're going to go through that thing pretty quick and they're looking for things to stand out. And if you have a whole section of your qualifications and certifications that pertain to that job, they're going to zero in on that immediately. And, and now you were able to cycle out what's important to a hiring manager 
from what's important to an HR manager and you kind of start to build the best of both worlds. So I think having that is a, is a pretty, pretty key tactic that folks can use as well. Another thing is within Region 6, we try to get as many references as we can for unknown, unknown candidates. And something else we see with candidates is the, the reference doesn't have an accurate phone number or doesn't have an accurate email, and we're calling dead phone numbers for references. Um, sometimes we see that with applicants as well. On their resume, they have a phone number, and the phone number's dead. Or the phone number goes to a voicemail that's full. So little things like that, just make sure you're, you're ready to go. Make sure your phone number's updated as when you apply, and make sure your references know that they may be getting a, a call or an email from a hiring manager and, and make sure they know kind of what to expect as well. Yeah, I think it's important that you give your uh, your references a heads up, you know, like you're saying, because if what's at, at least for me, nine times out of 10, if I see an unknown number on my phone, I just let it go to voicemail. I screen that yep. every time. So give them a heads up, say, hey, you're going to get a call from a, a strange number out of wherever. Yeah, and I think uh, different hiring managers are starting to use different tactics. Some hiring managers prefer to use email to get their references. Some hiring managers prefer to have a conversation on the phone, and then they basically scribe those answers onto a sheet of paper, type those up into the same form that could have been emailed, and then submit that as a reference. They both work. It just uh, sometimes it, it just works a little bit better for, for some people to do it one way or the other. Gotcha. So jumping back to the qualifications portion that you're talking about on the resume, where would you sure. suggest putting that? Like your firefighter one your, or, your, uh, or your firefighter two, EMT, faller B or whatever you have, whatever qualification you have, would you want to put that like right at the front or towards the tail end? I don't personally, I don't think it hurts to put it up front, especially if you have something, if you think that's what is going to set you apart. You have a CDL, you, you're an EMT, you're a follower one, you have ATV, UTV, et cetera. Um, I, I'd throw those in the beginning and see if I can grab, some, grab the attention of some hiring managers just by that. Because if, if you think your qualifications are appealing for this job, I'd, I'd start with those, which kind of tells the hiring manager, hey, here's where I'm at right now, and if you want to keep going, you can keep going through my resume. But this is exactly what I'm about right now, at least quals and certs. So okay. I think that could be advantageous to, to put right in the beginning, at least for a, probably for most temp jobs. That's, that's a pretty good tactic. Okay, so now speaking of temp jobs and that resume portion, say you're a, you worked on a ranch or something like that. Say you have no firefighting experience whatsoever, but you're familiar with hand tools, you're familiar with bucking hay or running a tractor you have some heavy equipment operations would you put that up front or would you put that towards the end or somewhere in the body of your resume um i i think if i think if that's the situation you're in where you have a limited work history your resume is probably not going to be very long anyways so it, it probably matters less in that scenario exactly where that stuff is i can remember hiring at the gs3 gs2 level for a district and, and we're looking for folks that have work experience, that have hard work experience, um, that know, uh, you know, understand the value of hard work that might translate to this job. And then we're looking for folks that also maybe have experience in other team environments. So uh, team sports in high school, uh, group or team activities that they were involved in. So. I think if you just kind of built that through your resume uh, as it happened, I think that's uh, still a pretty good tactic. Okay. And now let's talk about formatting. So for a temporary, <laughs> yeah, I know this is always the question, you know, you always hear, oh yeah, put it as USA Jobs format, which I think personally, I, I don't, I don't prefer it, prefer it at all. I always do a PDF. That's usually what I do, but I'm a little bit later in my career, so I can afford to do that because it's usually an 11-page document that I'm submitting. Yeah. You know? yeah. As far as your new applicants, uh, one and two years, your temp, your temp uh, positions, what format would you like to see? Would you like to say the USA Jobs, a Word format, or a PDF? I think the USA Jobs or the PDF 
would be safe. The word just sometimes doesn't come across real well. Uh, the the way it reformats, um, it can it can get kind of balled up. Another tactic a candidate can use to help some of these issues, whether it's PDF or or Word or the the internal system within USA Jobs, is if you're building relationships with hiring managers, which is recommended, that you can there's nothing to say that you can't send them directly a resume. So that's and that totally- resume doesn't have to be that that weird resume that you put on your application that addresses all these these HR check boxes that you got to get through that you used a hand tool and a sharpened and Pulaski and I know what a McLeod is, et cetera. Um, just send the hiring manager your, your dialed professional resume. There's nothing to say you can't do that. And that's once again, continuing to build that relationship with a hiring manager. And, and now they're looking at yet another document to prove that you should be set, you know, above and beyond the rest of those candidates. So that's one thing that I actually saw that kind of blew me away is uh, a gentleman came in and he was looking for, you know, getting into temp hiring season. He was looking for a job doing firefighting, right? And he came in and he had a hiring package already pre-made in a nice little binder with like plastic sleeves with every page of his resume, uh, letters of recommendation, everything. Would you recommend maybe doing something like that if you're really, really pursuing a specific area? Uh, So we'll jump out of... Uh, out of the lane run, we'll go over to like my crew hiring. Uh, that's something that if they don't show up with a resume when they come for a, a visit, uh, we ask them for one anyway. So if you're doing an official, not okay. If you're doing a visit to a, a program that you're interested in working for, I'd absolutely recommend that you have a resume in your hand. How far you go with it, whether it has a cover letter and, and what it's built in, uh, it, I guess it might just depend on the hiring manager and how they feel about that. For us, just hand me your resume, make sure it's, uh, it's pertinent to the job that we're talking about, and uh, that meets what I'm looking for. Gotcha. And now, so there are rules to showing up at a station, of course, right? There's courtesy calls, there's... Yep. You know, maybe a brief email, leave a couple messages and schedule something. Don't be rude. Just show up at the base or the station right. or whatever. So what would you like to see out of that? Um, for us, it's just a matter of scheduling. So right now, uh, it's a little hard because we're in operational season, but we try to accommodate folks that are in town that want to see the base, whether they're prospective applicants or uh, just folks who want to see what we do or how we do it. So we can do that right now. It could just be a little clunky and we're, we're operational. So it's a, sometimes it can, it can just be a little awkward for the candidate to be in the, in the middle of what we're doing. Uh, but certainly as we roll into, I'd really say November is a really good month for us specifically. And I think a lot of the other crews as well to be uh, chatting with and trying to schedule a visit with those bases. But yeah, you're right. Do not show up blind. That's not going to help you. No, it's actually, I'd consider that kind of rude. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just unprofessional, I guess. But yeah, man, um, I'm pretty sure that can be reflected across a lot of hiring managers, uh, stations, duty stations as well. Um, it still kind of has a good old boy system. And like you were saying earlier, there's nothing that's against the rules for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, uh, I think visiting is pretty important. I think building relationships is important. I think being, so here's another thing. <laughs> within region six, within, I think a lot of the other regions, the, the tactic of interviewing in the, in the temp hiring system is, I would say less utilized more than it was in the past. So this is a way for a candidate to sell themselves an almost force interview with a hiring manager. So if they can set up a schedule and go meet with them, you can go sell yourself face to face and, and show that hiring manager that you're articulate and um, that you know what you're talking about and you can hold a conversation. And so, cause otherwise that may not happen through the hiring process, maybe a little bit on the phone, but this is a way to, to basically set up an interview that you control a little bit. 
See, that's important too because um, well, at least with perm hiring, which we're not talking about here, but that's a lot of phone interviews. That's yep. usually how they do it, and that's how the the bureau of land management does it, and that's how the uh, USDA does it as well. So, be prepared for that. Maybe get some uh, some oral skills if you can. If you don't have the ability, maybe to show up at a station at a duty station. Say you live across the country and you want to move to the West Coast for the summer. Get good at it on the phone. Show them that you're articulate. Yeah, and. I- each crew kind of does it differently, and I, I can't speak for everyone, but uh, a for instance on our within our program is when a when a prospective applicant calls us, we start a file on them. Um, if if we figure out that they're probably going to qualify for our vacancies and that they're they're interested in employment with the crew, we start a file, and, we, and within that file, we document all of our conversations we've had that with that applicant. And so each time you call, I'm pulling that same file back out, and I'm just adding to it and adding to it. So um, even if you can't show up, calling through the off season before selections are made is is pretty important. And and we tell our folks, we try to coach them up as much as possible, whether they're applying to us or they want to apply to a different Repel crew, is make sure you're chatting with that hiring manager. Make sure that they don't, they can't forget you. Um, and and bug them just enough to make sure you know to make it not annoying, but you want to be chatting with them. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, don't make it annoying. Don't pass through your hiring manager. That's for sure. Yeah. Nice man. So those are some excellent tips and tricks. Um, what about USA Jobs though? So this is where kind of it all starts. We kind of jumped a few hurdles there and kind of started from the end and worked our way back, so to speak. But yeah. USA Jobs, that's going to be your starting point as far as your temp seasonals. So if, if you build a relationship with a hiring manager at, at your local district level, and let's say you don't, uh, you, you don't currently have a job with the Forest Service or you're not familiar with USA Jobs, uh, most hiring managers are going to work with applicants. And they'll they'll help them work through the the USA Jobs process, which to someone who hasn't gone through it can be uh, confusing, uh, daunting, and not make a lot of sense. And then after 20 years in the agency, you'll probably still feel that way. But um, those local units will they'll they'll work with you to to kind of figure out what what everything really means to some of those inexperienced candidates. Uh, what do you really need to attach? What do you not need to attach? What do you need to really pay attention to? And then then there's this how do I answer these questions type scenarios that candidates always have, which is a, you know, that's a pitfall for hiring managers sometimes because you can kind of find yourself maybe in a gray area, but at least trying to explain to candidates what what those questions are really asking and not try to answer them for the candidate is pretty important. Um, but that's, that's always tough to navigate the, the USA job thing, especially in fire. And I think at the, the GS five level in fire because of the S two ninety uh, firefighter run requirement and how people prove they have that. That, uh, that can be challenging for folks, whether they, they didn't attach the right document, uh, the document wasn't legible. Something else we see is people will attach um, password-protected PDFs. And I haven't even figured out how they do that, but it happens quite frequently. So ASC goes to pull that PDF out of their profile and it's password-protected. So if it's password-protected, they can't. They can't access it, which means they can't certify that that employee meets the requirements of the job. So, gotcha. That's crazy. I didn't know uh, that that happens so often. Yeah, it happens a fair amount. Huh. Wild. So there you go, guys. Don't don't password protect your PDF no. documents. So now, uh, as far as submitting your certs, you can submit your cert. That's fine. But the most like one of the really important documents that you need to uh, submit is that IQCS master as well. That's going to tell a lot about your career. It should. Um, it's not necessarily required in the temp world. Uh, it's obviously very important in the perm world. Um, but, you know, we can have folks 
that come over from other agencies that don't use IQCS that still qualify at, let's say, a GS4 or a GS5 level in our agency, or folks that have those certifications that are coming from uh, a contract world is another example. So um, they can attach their certs and their, you know, their reg cards, and uh, they can get through that way. So, uh, but you're right. If if you have a, a master record that shows that, I'd certainly be attaching it, but not necessarily required. And that's a good point that you brought up because it's all too forgotten that you guys up in, especially in Region Six, you guys have a ton of cooperator contractors. You guys work yep. hand in hand with contractors all too often, and some of them are uh, pretty pretty well qualified, and they maybe want to make that jump from the private world over to the federal side. So. There you go. There's some good advice for uh, those contractors that looking that are looking to get on the uh, Fed side. Yes, certainly. Um, we see a lot of those crossover um, for one reason or the other, and and you know usually I think through the application process it goes pretty well. Uh, every once in a while we'll see uh, we'll see examples of why folks didn't qualify. Here, here's another example that uh, I've seen a couple times is you, you need to attach a cert for S290. Um, the HR staffer pulls up the uh, cert that's been attached and it's a unit, it's a unit certificate. So it's like unit one, you completed unit one and that's all they attached. Well, that's that's one unit within the whole class, so that staffer can't can't certify that that employee meets the qualifications. So that employee that or that candidate meets qualifications. So that candidate is not referred to a hiring manager. So it's just little things like that, making sure that you've got your ducks in a row, making sure that if you need to attach an S two ninety certificate, that it's a legit certificate for the whole class. It's signed. It's dated. And um, that it's legible, whether it's scanned, uh, just verify all your attachments before you actually put them in there and upload them in there. It's pretty important. Gotcha. So, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, so, I gonna, <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to say, and I and I think you uh, spoke to it with Ashley as well in the last podcast. But turn your notifications on. Uh, I think it's pretty key within USA Jobs. Um, that way, if if there's a problem. Uh, you're aware of it, or if there's not a problem, it tells you that you've been referred and everything's great. Um, I, I think if you're going to use a cover letter in USA Jobs as a part of your application profile, make sure that that cover letter is pertinent to the job you're actually applying for. You'd be surprised at whether they attach the wrong one or lost track of which job they're applying for. Sometimes that doesn't match up real well, and most hiring managers may not see that uh, as a positive thing. Um, what else did I have? So the other thing is selecting duty locations and some of the tactics involved in selecting duty locations. Um, this year, for instance, for most fire jobs, let's, let's pick a suppression, GS4 suppression job in Region 6, you're going to apply to that job and you're going to have access to all duty locations in Oregon, Washington, Riggins, Idaho, and all of California, because that will be, it should be a combined cert. Gotcha. So you're going to, I, I can't, can't think off the top of my head how many duty locations that is, but that's a lot. It's a hell of a lot. Um, yeah. And then at the bottom, most of these certs also have a, a checkbox that is, it, it's called location negotiable. And we could talk about that as well and what that means and how it works. But I think there is a tactic from a candidate perspective on how you select duty locations. It's my opinion that if you aren't willing to work there, do not pick that duty location. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Hiring managers can see where you selected. When a hiring manager sees that you selected four places and they're their remote, hard to fill location is on that list. They're gonna they're gonna give your resume some extra time, and they're probably gonna give you a call. So just little things like that. If you really are willing to work anywhere, that's fine too. I think you owe it to yourself to do some research, because I think a lot of people say they're willing to work anywhere, and then when it comes down to it, that changes. So. 
don't don't waste your own time and, and certainly don't waste hiring managers time on selecting a location if you have no interest in going there. Oh, absolutely. Don't shotgun your resumes out there, your applications out there, man. It's just a bad practice. And yeah. just also be aware that some of these duty locations are going to be like middle of nowhere, Oregon or middle of nowhere, Washington, you know? So be prepared and, to work there if you if you select that place. Do your research. Yeah, and, and some of those locations are desired from for certain candidates because they have government housing. They're cheaper to live. They're they're just in a unique situation that caters to a certain applicant, and that's great. But that may be what you're looking for. Then don't apply to Bend or don't don't apply to Wenatchee, Washington. These kind of these bigger cities. Um, do some research. Figure out what the job is you want to do, whether it's fire or non-fire, you know, rack or trails or whatever it is. Figure out what you want to do. Figure out what kind of an environment you want to work in. Do your own research and then go after those locations. Concentrate your time and efforts on getting a hold of those hiring managers and having conversations with them. And I think your probability of success in this whole hiring process will go up exponentially. The other thing that that ASC is starting to work through and work on is this option of location negotiable. And this location negotiable option rolled out last year within Region 6. It rolled out within Region 5, and I think a a number of the other regions were using this option. What it allowed a candidate to do was to select a box that said location negotiable. I can't answer what that looked like from a candidate perspective or what they thought they were checking when they selected the box. But I can tell you that different regions treated that option differently, which is unfortunate. It was new for us last year. And and again, I don't want to blame the furlough, but it, it didn't quite allow us to have this kind of big aligned national strategy on how to use that option from a hiring manager, a hiring team perspective. But this year, what that really tells a hiring manager is if an applicant selects that, they they are willing to go anywhere. And so what you're going to find is that should open up lists of names for those hard-to-fill duty locations that don't see a lot of applicants. They're going to have access to those candidates that selected their location And then they're also going to have access to the candidates that selected location negotiable, which pretty much applies to every duty location on that cert. So it's, it's another tool to help hiring managers. I think, uh, I think it can help candidates as well if they just understand what it means. Yeah. So that's also a good way to get your foot in the door as well. If you're willing to go truly anywhere, and work in a remote place with possibly no phone service <laughs> to yeah. take that opportunity. Cause it's going to make you only develop as a human and a better firefighter. So I think it's awesome. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of jobs out there. We, uh, like I said, you know, we, we fill, which is within region six, we fill 1500 ish, uh, temp positions each year. We hire about 25% of our applicants. Um, I should say 25% of our qualified applicants. Um, Which is still a lot. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, and that's another cool thing, too, is like a lot of people, uh, when they hit me up on, sometimes they hit me up on the uh, Instagram, the Anchor Point Instagram, and they say, hey, what do I do? I feel like I'm stuck. And right here is a perfect example of what you're saying, with everything you're saying here nobody's stuck in this job you can go pretty much anywhere oh yeah yeah so you guys aren't stuck if you guys want to get out (laughs) good old chad over here he's giving you some good excellent tools to provide yourself with that opportunity to get uh get where you want to be there's a lot of opportunities and there's a lot of resources to figure out um where those opportunities are and and how those may work out for you Within Region 6, we have a, a website. If you Google R6 Temp Hire, you'll have to navigate a little bit, but you're going to make your way through a Forest Service webpage that will get to our Region 6 hiring and outreach page. And within there, they'll have a seasonal hiring section. And, and within that, they have an interactive hiring map 
that has you can you can zoom into the Pacific Northwest and go to a location and as you zoom in it will give you a list of all the jobs that are available in that area. So it's just another tool that folks can use to whether they want to find the job first and then figure out where they want to do the job or they want to go look at a location first and then figure out what kind of job they want to do at that location. That's a pretty good tool they could use to uh, at least kind of start doing some research. Yeah, that's an excellent tool to, so to speak, do your homework, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, which is important. You got to know where you want to be, know what you want to do, and uh, be pretty decisive with your actions with where you're applying for. But then again, if you're also willing to work anywhere, I mean, like I said, don't shotgun your resumes everywhere. But uh, yeah, be willing to work in those uh, rural, remote areas as well. Absolutely. Up your chances. So, dude, let's talk about COR, man. Uh, I've worked in the Pacific Northwest for, was that, four years? And uh, a lot of it was around Bend and Prineville and uh, Redmond. And, uh, yeah, dude, uh, it was it was an awesome place to work. Um, I didn't work at COR, of course, but in close proximity. Let's talk about you guys. Let's talk about uh, Central Oregon Repellers. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good place to be. It's a good place to work. Um, that's not just a sales pitch, but that's a, that's an environment that we live in central Oregon. We have a very diverse landscape as far as firefighting is concerned. You've got Alpine through subalpine through mixed con on the east side. We have these big pine forests, and then we've got a, a pretty unique desert in the middle of this thing. Um, we have the John Day Rivers, the Shoots River, or the John Day River corridor, the Shoots River corridor, um, that all present a pretty unique fire environment. And and for us, our I would say our our hosted unit is Cosmos Central Oregon Fire Management Service, which is the Ochoco National Forest, the Shoots National Forest, Grasslands, BLM, and ODF. Um, and then within the border of this organization, we have quite a few rural, for fire, rural fire protection agencies um, and a lot of other cooperators. So it, it's just really unique for us. We're an, we're an automatic response for a lot of those areas. We're just a phone call away. And so you may find yourself, you know, the first load of repellers we put out on the crest and we come back and we get the next load and we go to the desert. And so it, it's a really dynamic environment that, that uh, I really like and, and appreciate. i got a really good group of folks on the crew, and um, we have a lot of fun doing it. Nice, man. So what's your program all about, man? What's, uh, what's, what's a day in the life of a repeller? So within, at Central Oregon, we're based in Primeville, uh, we are we're currently funded for 23 folks. Um, we've got two aircraft. We have a Type 2 Bell Medium that's a repel aircraft. We have a Type 3 Bell 407 that's an initial attack aircraft. Uh, for the most part, you know, everyone on the crew is a repeller, and then we work staffing around on both ships. So we often have repellers on the on the light and the medium on any given day. Um, it, it just depends on what we're doing and, uh, whether we've gotten lightning and what our drawdown is, but for the most part, if, if the, the repeller crafts in central Oregon, it's ready to go. Uh, and we try to be off the ground in 10 minutes suited up. So we kind of call it the coiled spring, you know, those folks are ready to go and, and same with the light as well. Um, that the way that business model works can be challenging for some people, um, which is understandable. Some hot shots like it, some hot shots don't, right? So the, we don't do a lot of project work like a district would because we're, we're designed, I think, more like someone would think of a fire station where we've got the, the asset of the aircraft have to be staffed and you can't get too far away from them. So, you've got to be coiled up and ready to go. And when things are busy and you're hopping and, and you're, you're responding to multiple incidents a day, that's great. When things get slow for a week or so, sometimes, you know, there's only so many tools you can sharpen and, and folks get 
get kind of antsy about that. So it takes a, I think a certain type of individual that can kind of handle the, the ups and downs of, of that job to be able to deal with it. So it, yeah, especially on a slow season, man, it, it's, it takes a certain type of individual to appreciate the slow times, you know, uh, for what they're worth, even though no one likes the slow times, we all want to be out there fighting fire and, you know, helping. But, uh, sometimes that happens, man. It's been a slow yeah, season for everyone. I, I think most folks are, are pretty motivated for single resource positions as well, which we try to encourage throughout the crew. So, um, like right now, we've got you know camp GS fives that are out on single resource assignments and getting single resource training assignments. So that's important for them. That's important for us. It keeps keeps them busy. It keeps our board rotating. Uh, it just kind of keeps everybody happy and it develops their career. And that's that's kind of where we're looking for most of our our rookie candidates and our and our temps is at that single resource or, or getting ready for the single resource level because you look at times like this and and if they can diversify their talents and go out as some of those things, then uh, that helps them out quite a bit better. You just answered the question I was going to ask, ask or ask next, man. That's so you, that's in times of slow seasons, you have the opportunity to go out uh, as single resource or work on that task force, maybe, or that engine boss or whatever you guys are working on. So that's a very unique thing. That's pretty, uh, pretty uh, unique to aviation, uh, especially your program too. So, um, yeah, we're trying to keep people in rotation all the time and, and keep, keep a number of folks out on the road as single resource and, and as many training assignments as we can give them, obviously, try to take advantage of those and, and get people working through uh, their ops quals. That's something that we try to emphasize on our crew, uh, perhaps more than others, is uh, I want to see folks work through single resource, and then I want to see folks work through task force leader and division. I don't want to see them rabbit hole themselves into aviation quals only. I want them to be really good firefighters and then they can, they kind of lean over on the aviation side. And I think in traditional, and and I think I can say this because I was, I've been in programs that were like this where you were considered an aviation professional and, and then like fighting fire was kind of your side gig. And I think for us, it's, it's kind of the opposite. We want really good firefighters and then we can teach them aviation and, and they can work through the aviation side. That's awesome, man. That's pretty unique, and that's a good outlook for a program, too. Yeah, it seems to work for us so far. That's awesome, man. So as far as candidates you're looking for, you already kind of just brushed upon that um, with your single resource or stepping up to that single resource qualification. What else are you looking for in a candidate? So most rappel crews, I would say within Region 6, are looking at two lists. They're looking at the GS4 list and they're looking at the GS5 list. How they treat those lists differently as far as candidates um, has to do with with their budgets. It has to do with how many candidates they have on that list and, and it might have to do with kind of what kind of holes are they trying to fill on the crew, whether it's qualifications or whatever. For us, we get, we get pretty good lists, uh, pretty desirable place to live and, and recreate and, and hang out in Central Oregon. So uh, we're very fortunate to, to be able to have uh, a lot of folks that are interested in, in doing this thing in Central Oregon. So for the most part, we're usually looking at our, our GS5 list. Uh, within that, we want, we're looking for candidates that have a really good suppression background, um, which for us, Almost most of the time, we're looking at hotshot experience can check some boxes that may not be able to be checked at other areas. So I'll go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Um, we can't we can't train or or get a repeller candidate sixty to ninety days on a fire every year. We just can't do it. That's not what that's not what our model is built to do. So when they come off a shop crew with three years, they've got a lot more fire experience than we can give them, and they're already that far ahead. And then we can train them to be a repeller. The other thing, the hot shots, uh, you know, being on a on a hot shot crew for 
however many years is they know how to prepare for a season. Um, physically, mentally, they know how to come off of a season. They usually know how to rehab. So that kind of usually sets them up to, to have a higher probability of success as a rookie candidate. So that rolls into uh, they need to be pretty physically fit. Our rookie training is five weeks. It's designed to challenge candidates physically, mentally. Um, it's not supposed to be easy. Uh, it, it's not super hard. I think sometimes people make it out to be a little bit harder than, than it is sometimes, but that comes into because of the mental side. Um, and it's designed to be intense. It's designed to, to train them in a very intense environment for five weeks. So take take a good firefighter. They come into the program. I've, we've got to teach them small team dynamics. We've got to teach them leadership. We've got to teach them, uh, you know, how to be an IC. We've got to teach them how to be a helicopter crew member. And then we've got to teach them how to repel out a helicopter. And then after five weeks, they could go out and be an independent repeller anywhere um, because then we're rolling right into it. So it, it can be fairly intense, and that's kind of why we're looking for somebody that's fit, that has a good suppression background. Um, prior helicopter experience for us is not required. If, uh, if a candidate was trying to think about, I want to repel out of Central Oregon, I wonder if I should go get helicopter experience somewhere or I should go get hotshot experience somewhere, I would steer them, if you're looking at our program, to go get hotshot experience. Go get diversified experience. Even go to a district and get engine and work on some quals and, and work on that hand crew at the district, to me, will help you out a little bit better than just going and getting helicopter time. Um, because I'll get you helicopter time. That won't be a problem. So oh, It's two different worlds, um, too. The uh, Like a like – a call, not a call when needed ship, sorry – but like a uh, an exclusive use like type three versus or a type two ship is completely different world than a repel ship. It's just a different operation entirely. Yeah, and even even within certain programs, you know, there's you could take two different type two programs across the country, and and they just have a different way of doing stuff. And and one may be hella base centric, um, working across the nation, and another one may be doing a lot of IA. So it's just, it's just hard to tell in any given year what you're going to get. And, and like I said, we're going to teach you the helicopter stuff. So I wouldn't worry that you need to go get that to be competitive within most repel crews. Um, there's some other things. So what I would consider bonus qualifications are things that are going to get you looked at uh, to be considered within a repel crew, faller one, which used to be, you know, a sea faller. Mm -hmm. Uh, EMT is pretty important to a lot of crews, uh, us included. Paramedic, obviously, is a, is a very attractive qual. Uh, IC5, IC4. Gotcha, man. Those are probably the top quals that, that are pretty appealing to us. So you mentioned the paramedic program. Uh, if you're a paramedic, uh, do you guys have medical direction and do you guys run medicals out of uh, COR? We don't run we don't run medicals. Um, well, let me back up. We do have medical direction within the region uh, as repellers, and and we work within the the same medical direct under the same medical director as the, the hot shots and the smoke jumpers, I think. Um, with that, most of our med folks operate as fireline medics, and then they operate as um, med loads for us to respond to um, hurt firefighters or, or agency employees. So there's still within the Forest Service, there's there's this medical gray area that's being worked on. Um, you know, obviously very different than the, the Park Service and some of the other agencies. But uh, most of our EMTs and paramedics, when they get uh, medical experience on the job. It's usually when they go out as a fireline EMT. Gotcha. I was just curious if you guys happen to uh, be maybe working into a short haul program or anything like that. Oh, um, no, 
Not right now. Not yet, at least. <laughs> nice, man. Not yet. We, we've got Wenatchee to the north of us. And, uh, I mean, right now we've got four short haul programs sitting in Region 6. So um, just just today, you know, we've got Grand Canyon and some other out-of-area crews have are coming in and posted up for some of the activity we have. So I don't think there's – I'm in no hurry to adopt short haul within my program. Um and I'll, I'll continue to support Wenatchee short haul program as much as I can to, to have one in the region. I think that's good and important, but I'm in no hurry to, to grab it. Okay, nice, man. So who knows what the future holds, but uh, we'll see in the, what the future holds, I guess, <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Nice, man. Well, cool, man. Uh, so where can we find you guys on the old socials? In case you guys... So you can curious. find... a. Yeah, you can find our, our website, uh, Central Oregon Repellers, uh, dot com, and then you can find us on Instagram uh, at uh, Central Oregon Repellers. And I think for the most part, that's our, our social media presence. And do you guys do a lot of outreach on that as, uh, as far as your program specifically? Yeah, the, our Instagram page and, and our website really is, is that's, that's what they're for for the most part is uh, recruitment and outreach and to allow folks that are want more information about our program avenues to learn about our program and then avenues to contact us. So for instance, if you go to our webpage, you can, you can fill out a quick little survey about, about yourself and what you're interested in chatting with us for and just hit submit and that'll come into our, hiring folks and and they'll respond to you accordingly if you're a candidate or you just have some questions uh the same with instagram you know if you direct message us uh folks will be chatting with you uh that one's just a little bit clunkier to to operate that way i think i think email and facebook's are or not facebook but through the website is a little bit easier to deal with to have those conversations back and forth yeah, it's easy to have messages get buried in Instagram. You'll never see the they'll never see the light of day sometimes. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. Well, dude, that was that was awesome, man. Thank you for your tips and tricks um, for R six fire hire for the temp game up there in Region Six there in the Pacific Northwest. Man, I miss working up there, dude. It's, it was a good time. Yeah, it is a good time. It's been a little uh, a little slow this year, but sometimes slow is good and and get the kick back a little bit and enjoy time with our family. So that's been good. Yeah. And uh, get ready for hunting season, of course. Oh, yeah. There's lots of elk around the Ochicos, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and one thing I did want to plug uh, before we go is uh, I wanted to encourage folks to either screen capture or regram this episode uh, on the Anchor Point podcast Instagram page. And if they hashtag Central Oregon Pellers, and uh, hashtag the Anchor Point Podcast. We'll grab all those people that do that in the next 30 days, and um, we'll select somebody randomly and send them a swag bag of a bunch of stuff from the base. Ooh, nice. Right on, man. Well, I'm sure yeah. whoever the lucky uh, winner is would deeply appreciate that. That's awesome, man. Yeah, just get folks involved and, and try to, hopefully, if, if folks are listening and, and they found any value in this, uh, just push it out so other folks can find the same value and try to get the word about kind of a little bit about the temp hiring process. Yeah, man, that's what this whole thing's about, man, building a better, stronger community of firefighters and reaching out to the public, too, and teaching them what we do for uh, for a living, essentially. That's what this whole game's about. Yeah, absolutely. Nice, man. Well, I think we're at the tie-in point and usually at the end of the show. Uh, I'd like to give you the opportunity to give a shout-out to a homie, friend, mentor, coach anybody that you want man um i I think my biggest mentor uh, is my wife she holds holds me together a lot more than i do so uh that's my my biggest and most important shout out nice man well thank you that that sure she'll uh she'll appreciate that (laughs) no she'll probably just roll her eyes and and move on with (laughs) keeping me in line nice man (laughs) Well, dude, uh, just want to say thank you for sharing uh, all of your insight of uh, R6 Fire Hire. Dude, I definitely appreciate that. I'm pretty sure everybody who's listening will uh, appreciate it as well. 
Yeah, man. Thank you for the time, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Yeah, for sure, man. And uh, yeah, you we for all you guys that are listening, check out their Instagram, check out their Facebook, and hit them up on their email through their website. And uh, hey, man, next time I'm up in uh, Bend, let's grab a beer. <laughs> Look us up. Come visit us. Right on, man. Take care. Thank you. All right. Thanks, man. No worries. All right, guys, there you go. Episode number 15 is in the books with Chad Schmidt from Central Oregon Repellers. Chad, dude, just want to say thank you for coming on the show and sharing your expertise and inside knowledge as to how Region 6 temporary seasonal hiring goes, man. It's uh, definitely an interesting uh, organization you guys got going on there. It's a little bit different from the rest of uh, the regions out there, but it seems like it works well for you guys. So just a heads up, guys, uh, Chad has 15 years of fire experience at his back, and he's also an operations director for Region 6 Temporary Seasonal Hiring. So take what he says to heart. He's got some expert inside knowledge, and he shared all of that with you guys. So we covered resumes. We covered USA Jobs. We covered some other best practices as to getting picked up. So if you guys need to listen to this thing again, maybe sit down and take some notes. All it's going to do is up your chances of getting selected for that temp seasonal position. So it's especially critical that you guys start researching where you guys want to be and getting your resumes polished up and dialed in and start uh, familiarizing yourself with USA Jobs now because hiring season is upon us. September 16th through the 30th, a lot of regions, not just Region 6, but a lot of regions are going to be doing their temporary seasonal hiring. So get your stuff together. Chad, dude, you got an excellent program over there at Central Oregon Repellers, and uh, I think that the information that you also gave out with uh, Central Oregon Repellers is going to be absolutely critical, especially for those hot shots looking to get into aviation. I uh, love working in the Pacific Northwest. Region 6 is freaking awesome, and uh, yeah, COR's got a, a dialed program, so definitely uh, take a look. Take a look at their uh, Instagram. Check out their website. He gave all that information out. Uh, you can find them online. Shoot them an email if you got questions or hit them up in their DMs on the uh, old Instagram. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, Keep doing what you guys are doing. Keep sharing the word, spreading the word of the Anchor Point podcast. Definitely appreciate that. If you guys got bitching photos from the fire season, definitely uh, tag us. Tag us on the Instagram. Tag us on Facebook, and we'll uh, repost your stuff. Definitely keep on doing what you guys are doing. Definitely appreciate all you guys. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you on the next one.